action. Welcome to Taunt Stubbs, the Trash Movie Podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and creative director of Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. Joshua and I have a big old shared film knowledge, but there are always gaps that need to be filled. So in this episode, we've decided to watch a movie that neither of us has seen yet. For this episode, we chose Rock of Ages, directed by Adam Shankman. Rock of Ages is a 2012 movie musical adaptation of the hit Broadway and West End show and stars Julianne Hoff as Sherry, a young girl who moves to LA to pursue her dream of hitting it big in the music world. She lands a waitress job at the Bourbon, a gig venue on LA's notorious Sunset Strip, where she falls in love with wannabe rocker Diego, played by Drew Bowley. I love rock and roll <laughs> i love the 80s but i hated this film did you <laughs> yeah. why <laughs> it was awful it was so cringeworthy i thought it was shockingly awful what did you hate about it everything i hated its portrayal of women i hated um the, the diluted versions of classic rock songs i hated um the i, I just i love musicals as well but i just don't understand when the plot revolves around music and people singing to each other and it's like in their heads in this universe are they actually singing or are we just watching a representation of how they feel that really pissed me off russell brand and alec baldwin wearing wigs that look like they're about to jump off their heads and start humping each other drove (laughs) me crazy Catherine zeta jones as an anti mary whitehouse She's trying to kill rock and roll by singing rock and roll songs. It's so stupid. Yeah, it doesn't... I mean, a lot of it doesn't make a lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it doesn't. Um, But the idea that it's a musical, and it kind of... It does... It pitches its fork very early on when they're on... She's on the bus, and she's looking out, and she starts singing. And I was like... Oh, it's one of these musicals. Because I, I just thought it might be a bit of... I thought they might have adopted the Hedvig and, and the Angry Inch um, format where the songs happen in the film and everyone's aware because it's a band playing the songs and the songs are relevant to the emotion that's happening in the story. Mm-hmm. But when she starts singing on the bus and then the guy on the other side of the bus started singing with her, but she wasn't paying attention to him and he wasn't paying attention to her. I was like, right, this is a West Side Story style musical format. So I was I was okay with suddenly people singing for no good reason. <laughs> uh, you know, a bit like Grease. You know, there's no reason for them to be singing. Yeah. They just do because it's a musical and that's how the story is portrayed across to us and whether they're aware that they are singing or not is almost secondary to everything else. Like I said, I love rock and roll and I love 70s rock. I love 80s rock. I think 70s rock is the the grittier, um, groovier kind of stuff. 80s rock is very AOR. It's very album orientated and very poppy and very like, we've got to get the next radio here. We've got to get the next Bon Jovi, you know, and you, in the 80s, you saw bands from the 70s who had 
not being able to reach the heights of their 70s stardom in the 80s because all these new bands came in. Those bands started becoming more like 80s bands. So Whitesnake, which started off as a blues band, suddenly became, you know, like Here I Go Again, that kind of big power ballad. Even Kiss, <laughs> even Kiss did like a, a Bon Jovi style album <laughs> with like keyboards and synths. And it was like, okay, so if this if this is okay, this is, you know, this is what is happening. So this is the era that this film is set in, 1987. Yes, the music was very watered down. Oh, God. <laughs> and I do question, why are actors hired who can't sing or you have to manipulate their voice in the studio? Julianne Hoff, her voice was like a bubblegum Barbie version of Britney Spears, whose voice is pretty bubblegum already as it yeah. is. And every time she started singing, I wanted to tear my ears off my head. See, I don't remember her too much in the film, but she is very forgettable. Um, she's like the main character. <laughs> I know, but like her, her performance, her songs, I don't yeah. remember which songs she Awful. she had. The, it's, a, it is a, it's a lot of fun, this movie. It's, it's so much fun because if you, if you, you know, you pitch your fork and you understand the the world that you're in you kind of go right i'll go with it mm-hmm. you know and and catherine Zeta jones is this like you said this very conservative mary white house kind of figure trying to ban the the bourbon um the bar venue trying to ban rock and roll and her and it's sort of goofy because her husband played by um brian cranston brian cranston who seems to not give a shit about his career anymore he's like <laughs> he did all that amazing intense work on Breaking Bad and afterwards he was like I just want the money now I feel like I've shown what I can do Yeah, now I'm going to do some shit do some shit he's done like one good thing since Breaking Bad and that was um, Trombo oh I didn't see that brilliant yeah. like that is that's classic Brian Cranston mm-hmm. like a character he goes away and the character steps forward but if he's doing things like this and Power Rangers yeah and that thing with James Franco. What was that? He did a comedy with James Franco. Oh, Daddy Knows Some, Daddy, something like that. Daddy Knows kind Best. Of comedy, kind of, you know, ad campaign where it's pictures uh, on a white background with red text. Yeah. That kind of... And then, like, facing each other looking angry. That kind of shit. Bad <clears throat> DVD covers used as posters. Yeah. Um, the way for her to make her point about the fact that she wants to get rid of Stacey Jacks, played by Tom Cruise, who's another catfish we will come on to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, she... She has to sing a song about, come on, hit me with your best shot. Come and get me. That's, that is a major problem with jukebox musicals where yeah. the, the storylines are shoehorned in because the lyrics were written. All these songs were written independently of themselves and independently of any story. So the storyline is always shoehorned in. Mamma Mia is a massive mess example of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bad Out of Hell, the musical, I guess, probably is the same. Um, we will rock you, even though they changed some lyrics. It's all shoehorned in, and you kind of have to go. Well, I can't take this too seriously. I'm just going to have to let this wash over, and I'm going to have to go along with the ride. And ultimately, I felt this film was actually a lot of fun because it was so bad. It was good. It, it was, was that kind no. of fun for me. I just like, didn't understand. I got so confused that okay, fine, okay, they're singing these rock songs, but in this universe. The young kid who wants to be a rock star, he's writing Journey's Don't Stop Believing. That's the song that he's writing. It's like, well, no, then what universe are we actually in then? But if he's writing this rock song, even though everyone else is singing other Journey songs and other 
um, you know, ACDC and all that kind of stuff. It's like, what? Huh? But he's writing Don't Stop Believing. That's a very good point. I don't, I don't, I mean, like, when they were in Tower Records, it was lovely to see Tower Records oh, yeah. on screen. Because I used to go into the one on Piccadilly, which is now The Sting, uh-huh. which is a, a clothes shop. Um, I didn't notice any other albums from bands that the songs were used for the musical. So I don't know if I saw any Journey. So I don't know if, if they're living in a in a universe that actually has Journey or actually has, you know, Def Leppard. Yeah. So I'd have to go back and check, but I'd be surprised. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised to see if they fucked up and put it in there. But but like Stacey Jacks is singing Throw Some Sugar on Me and stuff, and they're pretending that that's his song. <clears throat> Pour some sugar on me. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw it at me, Tom. Throw it at me. Um, yeah, but I, no, I, I get that. I, I, I can buy that. I can completely... I can completely buy that. In that world, Def Leppard is not a thing. In that world, Journey is not a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why everyone hates rock music because they haven't got these big titans of rock. They've got fucking Stacy Jacks instead. He's I just he shagging was... everything that moves. I like it when Tom Cruise plays characters. Oh. <laughs> too too often, I, I like find... larger than life. Well, he just he plays himself. You know, he's not Ethan Hunt. Isn't the character? It's mm. Tom Cruise. Yeah, Jack, Jack Reacher, Reacher is yeah. Tom Cruise. But when he does things like American Made or Eyes Wide Shut or this, I'm not putting this and Eyes Wide Shut in the same category. No way. Eyes Wide Shut is way above Worse. this. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't you get um, But as a performance, as a character, I was really, I was, I was kind of mesmerized at his choices. It was like he was completely doped up. Um, and I, and I was questioning why the character was like this. And then he had that scene with the interview, with the interviewer from from Rolling Stone. And she was asking things like... Her name, by the way, is Constance Sack. Just brilliant. Obviously. Yeah. And she was asking things like, what happens when you can't get rid of Stacey Jacks? And she was... They were introducing the idea that he is playing a character in the film. Um, Stacey Jacks is playing a version of himself that he can't escape. But they never followed along with that thread. That was, was the a, most. That was the most interesting yeah, part. Yeah, that was the most interesting thing I found in the film was that whole interview segment. I found really quite gripping, actually, and I was like, "Yeah, this is kind of Tom Cruise going a little bit meta and actually kind of almost revealing a side to himself personally." Mm. It's like she she could have just said to him, "When what happens when you want to stop being Tom Cruise?" Like he can't. He just is Tom Cruise yeah. to the core, obviously. But in a in a metaphorical sense as well, because you know he's this, he's known as this guy who throws himself um, off planes and does ridiculous stunts. He's known as like crazy Tom Cruise. He like jumps around on sofas and maybe sometimes he just wants to not be Tom Cruise for a while. On Graham Norton this week, he was on with Simon Pegg and a couple of other people from Mission Impossible Six, and Simon Pegg was saying, "Well, yeah, I'm friends with him, but I see him become Tom Cruise," and. I thought that was quite a brave thing to do in front of Tom Cruise. <laughs> Allude to the fact that there are two Tom Cruises. There's the one that Simon Pegg hangs out with, you know, when they go for dinner or whatever. And there's the other one, which is the public facing one who goes on the game shows, uh, the game shows, who goes on the chat shows, who walks up and down outside the premieres talking to people on the phone. Mm. I've had that with, with when, I, uh, when I've been interviewing actors, I've had that where you kind of sit down pre-official start of the chat and you're just kind of like, hi, how's it going? You're having a good day, blah, blah, blah. And you have a little chat and you often have a little laugh. And then as soon as you write, okay, let's start the interview. You, they, they often kind of, 
they'll kind of sit back and their shoulders relax and they just kind of take on this like suddenly they are performing they are becoming their persona their yeah. public persona i've had that on my other podcast <laughs> uh shoot first thought later when i interview people before when we're doing the shoot because you know the format is i photograph them then i interview them when we're doing the shoot they're chatting and as soon as we do as soon as i hit the microphones on to as soon as I turn those microphones on, they become a different person. Mm. And that's not what I want. I always wanted to speak to the real person. So if you listen to those episodes, sometimes with, with some of them, like Lou Sanders, a comedian, she was just a completely different person in the interview. And she was a, a little bit difficult and a little bit mm. obnoxious. <laughs> be yourself. Don't yeah. be Don't give me a line, yeah. Because then you, you end up like like peter sellers where you don't know where the character ends and the real person begins and you just live in the character's headspace alice cooper had that problem going back to rock alice cooper had that problem he was like worried when he when he was like when he became sober he was worried like what the fuck do i do because alice to me was the drunk alice was the character (laughs) um and alice won't let me stop drinking and the guy his his therapist was like when do you actually drink? And he goes, all the time. He said, do you drink on stage? No, I would never drink on stage. So Alice isn't the one drinking. <laughs> yeah. You're drinking, Vincent. Vincent Fernie is real name. So he was like, fuck. So yeah. he got sober. And then just before he was pacing up and down in his dressing room before the first show that he was going to do sober after like a four year break, going through rehab, getting clean. And he was worried that Alice wouldn't show up. And he had to reinvent Alice. And he realised at that point, Alice is on stage. When I'm off stage, I'm Vincent. That's a really interesting idea. And it's something that this film toyed with very briefly during that interview scene. And then as soon as that scene finished, it went back to being this kind of weirdly fast-forwarded romance between these two young wannabe singers where they're suddenly singing that they love each other. They've known each other for like three days. Yeah. Um, and a montage yeah montage obviously and but the thing is like if that had been good i would have been fine but it wasn't so i wanted more of let's try to understand stacy jacks and um we didn't get that i do wonder because it's such a a cliched look at cliches you know this this is written with cliches in mind Mm. of course everything else is going to be a cliche if you base your research on a cliched idea of what rock and roll is about, yeah, a very shallow look at a interesting scene, then of course your film and your story is going to be shallow and cliched, yeah, and really hideous towards women. So awful. Even the lead. So all the women basically faint in Stacey Jacks's presence. Even are. Uh, young ingenue who we're supposed to be rooting for even she fucking faints in front of him it's horrific and it's like okay yeah we get that this is a cliche but if you don't give us any alternative and if you don't send it up in a way that makes it different or inverts it or is in some way clever then all you're doing is propagating a stupid cliche i did write down is every man in la a rapist stop groping the girls yeah it's just they would just like grab their asses yeah that's what i mean when i say it's a cliched look at a particular time 80s rock may not have been as deep 
to outside world as 70s rock because everything became about you know it's the mtv generation and the record label suddenly realized ah we can make a lot of money out of shit music and a lot of it is shite mm. they're the, the ones that are still going today and the ones that remain in the the you know the radio play and the and the consciousness those are the ones that have survived you know that kiss album i was telling you about no one knows about that fucking kiss album yeah. except that one song crazy nights it's it's quite forgettable dreck mm. if you don't know about rock and you base everything you know about rock on things that you've heard or things that you <clears> might have <throat> seen without doing your proper research, then of course you are going to make a, a really cliched piece of shit <laughs> like this film, but it does have a sense of fun and that's why I, yeah. I quite liked it. And I have an affinity for liking rock and roll music, even if they were karaoke versions. Mm. But the, the women thing was a, a particular problem, especially when he, like some weird mystical thing, paused the woman mm-hmm. and then, made her mouth open yeah. somehow what by the magic fuck? and then stuck his tongue and it wasn't just like implied it was like actual tom cruise tongue all over her mouth yeah this this film it feels like a film that kind of hates women because it's like the villain is a white woman with a posse of white women behind her all screaming you're bad you're bad we're gonna get you um the only black woman is the owner of a strip club well and mary j blige yeah what was she doing in this movie apart from standing around looking for a plot point she yeah. was she had deliver- nothing to do and delivering some great backing singing basically um this th- this is what i mean about looking at the cliches compare rock of ages to something like almost famous where almost famous is very um honest about groupies and and the role they play within this weird kind of milieu that is the rock scene but it's very clever in the way it looks at these women and it kind of says that I can't, I've not seen it for a while, but from what I remember, it kind of says that these women have a kind of power in their own, which is they kind of provide this family environment or they kind of look after like these rock stars would be nothing without these women. They would yeah. literally be nothing. Which is kind of empowering um, for Yeah, it for kind girls. of is empowering actually because they're choosing to do this. Yeah. Whereas in Rock of Ages, these women have no control over themselves. They are just falling at these rock stars' feet and they are objects to, you know, Stacey Jacks wakes up in an orgy bed surrounded by women wearing like a jock strap and some chaps. And it's a very funny gag, but it's just like, can we actually see some women who aren't dumb brainless kind of non-entities well maybe that's what the mary jake blige character was she was like yeah. this mama morton character she was. wasn't she she was but it was still actually a little bit racist and kind of yeah let's get i mean it's great that there's a black woman in the film but why She's is she the, the owner of a strip the club yeah and she kind of pimp. picks women up off the street and says <laughs> you know oh god literally picks them up the street I think they were looking for a particular tone which they struggled with, mm. except in one scene. And it's the scene where Alec Baldwin and Russell Brand suddenly come out. Mm-hmm. And they got it pitch perfect because it was suddenly tongue-in-cheek. They were doing those cheesy flashbacks and, you know, it's all tongue-in-cheek. And the lyrics were, like, suggestive but funny. And the performances were were pretty goofy. That was... the that was the, the that was the best scene in the film. That was the tone that I think the entire film should have been. Because yeah. at times it's really earnest. Well, Adam Shankman apparently hated the stage show 
And so when he took on this Why job... Why the fuck's he directing the film then? Yeah, when he t- well, because he did Hairspray in 2007. Doesn't mean I have to do this. Which though. I actually love. Yeah. Um, it's got some great songs. It's very, very it's funny. Long, it's fun. Yeah, and it's actually got some depth to it. It's got the whole black empowerment subplot. Um, whereas with this, he thought, in inverted commas, he was going to fix the problems of the stage show. And what that means is basically he got rid of all the raciness and created this bizarre film about the rock scene that doesn't film like a rock film. No. It feels like a weird Barbie version of what the rock scene is and was. Because that's the problem if you... Like, Hedwig and the Angry Inch is a rock musical because it is made by people who come from a punk rock scene. Mm. Tommy is a rock musical because it is written by the who this is not a rock musical this is a sanitized andrew lloyd webber style musical based on an era of rock that was already so far removed away from what rock was it's pop it's <laughs> yeah. pop with guitars it's mcfly <laughs> but with a little bit of edge to it that's what the sunset strip is and yeah always has been um it's cheap by the way alec baldwin has disowned this film and called it a horrible movie that he only did so he could work with Tom Cruise and instead of working with Tom Cruise he spends the whole film with Russell Brand who it is really indicative of someone's talent or lack thereof when as an Englishman he does a worse English accent than Dick Van Dyke doing (laughs) an English accent in Mary Poppins because he decided to be a Brummy in this film didn't he was it Brummy or was he trying to be Scouse some, well, it ended up somewhere in Wales, didn't it? it was, <laughs> I'm not sure. He's, he threw a dart at a board. and He is... I mean, he's a pointless character. He's only there for them to be able to subvert the idea of the rock person by having two of them come out. But as an actor, I can understand why he doesn't make movies anymore. He's not. He's not a... I'm trying to be nice about this. He's a really shitty actor. <laughs> Which he's, is a shame because he's actually... Whenever I listen to him speak, he's incredibly... Oh, he's very erudite and intelligent. He's very eloquent. He's very on point. He's got very interesting insights. Um, And I think that he's maybe done himself a slight disservice by doing films like this where... And the Arthur remake. Oh, yeah. And get into the Greek. It's just not right for him. He needs to be someone who speaks and and gets a point across and and activates people. He was more manageable to watch in his documentary the one he did with i think he did it with winterbottom Mm. um is it the emperor's new clothes about about the financial crash that's when that's when he becomes really you know alive on screen because he's impassioned he's an activist yeah he's an activist who uh maybe took too long to find his his place because he went from mtv to radio then he went to hollywood and back again katie perry and katie perry and this and the other Maybe the activism is is the thing that he should stick at. And he, he apparently does it really well. Mm. He should not be doing this. No, he shouldn't be doing this. I was very upset at one point in this film, I have to say. Why? It was the bit where um, poor old Drew gets recruited by Paul Giamatti and he cuts off all his hair. Paul Giamatti. Yeah, Paul Giamatti makes him cut off all his hair and put on stupid, like, new kids on the block clothes. I, I'm obsessed with the song. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. Have you bought the song? No, it's on Apple Music. Oh dear God! I've got you know, I've got a subscription. But um, yeah, because I I listened to New Kids on the Block as a kid. It's just, but they ruined him. He was so pretty as a rock kid, and then they made him into freaking 
What's his face? Justin Bim Justin Bimberlake. Justin Bimberlake. <laughs> I think this is the only original song in the film. Well, that's right, pretty good. It's just really good. I mean, in terms of matching the kind of music the new kids were putting out, it's pretty decent. This is the kind of stuff that I listened to in the early 90s as yeah. a 10-year-old. When I was walking here, I was listening to New Kids on the Block. <laughs> but do you think a lot of the vocal performances were created in the studio? Like, Tom Cruise hits some pretty big notes, especially in, in Pour Some Sugar. Actually, Tom Cruise is, like, surprisingly great singer. Like, Yeah, but I just I wonder, mean, could he do that live, or was it a studio That's thing? what I want to know. I know that he did, like, hours and hours of vocal training, but that could be that could mean anything. I think going on what, I, what we all know about Tom Cruise, which is he throws himself into anything at his own peril. Yeah. Um, I do wonder if he did do all this singing. Like, he's note perfect, which makes me slightly suspicious. But he's great. I thought he was great. I can see why he really wanted to do this. Yeah. Because this was after... No, hang on. Yeah, this was after he'd done that crazy movie producer thing in Tropic Thunder, where he had, like, a comb over and Oh, with the fat hands. Yeah, so he'd done that. And then I guess he was kind of looking around to do stuff that wasn't Ethan Hunt throwing himself off the Baj Khalifa. Yeah, he's good. He like he embodies that kind of Axl Rose, like Jim Morrison thing. Like he's always seems half cut or half asleep. Um, <laughs> Get you with the rock references. I know, man. <laughs> I, I've done my research. No, I found him electrifying to watch. I really did. I love seeing him as a character. I love seeing him do something other than Tom Cruise. Like I said earlier, some of the choices were bizarre. Like he would always be, like his spine would always be really weird and twisted. Like he had a calcium deficiency or something. <laughs> but as as a as a a rock persona it worked and he he lit up that screen he was one of yeah. the best things about this film and at one point no the best thing about the film was the monkey <laughs> hey man <laughs> so called hey man i love it but at one hey point man. he was wanking yeah at the start of pour, pour some, some sugar, sugger, yeah. and I, was, I had to pause the, the, i mean pause myself and go it's, it's tom cruise simulating masturbation yeah. upon my screen yeah yeah well, it's because he's like the he's playing the stereotypical cock rocker, yeah. Like those guys who are on stage and they are just oozing sex, not physically most of the time, but that kind of cock rock thing where it's hyper masculine, hyper sexualized, um, in a very masculine kind of way. There were a lot of jokes in this that only worked in hindsight. <laughs> like what? Um, when he says like, "Oh, Michael Jackson's looking a bit pale." Oh, that was awful. Or. Nobody puts Donkey in the corner. Oh, it was so bad. It was just cringeworthy. But did you not think it was so bad it was good? No, I hated every second of it. As soon as as soon as Julianne Hoff got rescued the first time, I was like, oh God. Well, when she was... Um, when, well, she, when she was fresh and her case gets stolen and he's yeah. like, come work at the Bourbon. Things yeah. just quit. It's like, oh, welcome to reality. <laughs> it, just, it just annoyed me yeah. from that second on. No one finds jobs that quickly. <laughs> Would you watch it again? No. Would you listen to the the soundtrack? Hilariously, I actually had to review this soundtrack when it came out. Oh, uh, in two thousand twelve. No, uh, no. In total film, they do soundtrack reviews, and I hadn't seen the film, so I had to review okay. the soundtrack. And I didn't love it, I have to say. But um, no, I wouldn't listen to the soundtrack. No, I've actually I have it on my iTunes because I had to download it to review it. Yeah. So it sits on my iTunes, and I never click on it, not once. I've been listening to it. It's fun. <laughs> Just stop then, saying fun, Rob. But I do. It's not fun. It's about as fun as a microphone up the. 
Stacey Jacks. Yeah. But I do, when I listen to it, I do then go and listen to the actual versions of the songs. Yeah, the good ones. Well, as they should be done. Yeah. I mean, there were some clever... There was some there was some clever mixing, like blending of songs. Yeah, um, like um We built the city and we're not gonna take it. Yeah, I mean that was that was good. I didn't hate what they did with the songs. Well no, I did actually. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Rock of Ages, directed by Adam Shankman. Come and join the conversation. Tweet us your thoughts, your reviews, your shopping list to at Torn Stubbs Pod. Even if you're listening to this way in the future when we're all dead. Bit like that rock star who had too much fun. What, Stacey Jack? <laughs> <laughs> we love a five-star rating, so if you like what you hear, pop onto iTunes and give us a rating. We're off to Paradise City. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut! <laughs>